Welcome to Desert Rain Community Radio Dispatches from the Verge. Today on the episode, David and Dorian uh, sit down and discuss um, the idea of transition, life transitions. Uh, we kind of look at specifically organizational transitions and we cover uh, when David's church moved from being uh, a consumer-based church, uh, having weekly uh, meetings, you know, multiple meetings a week on Sundays to a community-type-based church, and uh, then individual life transitions, kind of looking at some some of the stuff I'm going through, transitioning professionally and into a new season of life, and um, sort of the tools we've used leading up to it, within it, and how that might be helpful to uh, someone about to go through a transition or maybe you're in in the middle of one now. So uh, before we get into that, thank you to Danny West. He does all the editing and sound engineering for these episodes. Thank you to Jacob at Monk Drums. That's what you hear in the background. If you want to learn more about Desert Rain Community, theruined.com is a place to go. drcrpod.com. You can find all of our other episodes. Um, or wherever you found this episode. If you enjoy what you're hearing, please tell a friend. Word of mouth and social media really helps us. We appreciate you, and let's get into it. Welcome back to Desiree Community Radio. Dispatches from The Verge. David Morrison. Good morning, sir. Good morning. How are you? (laughs) I'm still waking up. It's still, it's humid. Yeah. I got crazy last night. I took two milligrams of melatonin. I I took about seven and yeah, I have a little bit of a melatonin hangover. A friend of mine, (laughs) she came across because she, she doesn't take it, but I, I was talking about how I take it and she came across her mom's melatonin, 12 milligrams. cow. Like tell your mom to be careful. That'll it's put you in a gold bull elephant down. <laughs> <laughs> You'll sleep for a week on that. It's like three darts on it. <laughs> it's like uh, old school when they hit Will Ferrell with the darts. <laughs> he slow mo's into the hello darkness, my old friend. <laughs> um, well, speaking of melatonin transitioning from awake to asleep. Oh, there you go. <laughs> you did a segue. <laughs> we have a segue here. Perfecting my craft on this end. Um, that's what we're going to talk about today. Transitions. Changes. Changes. Um, and I think a two-part, sort of a two-fold, maybe even three-fold if we got time. Um, but individual transition transitions, so life life changes, whether it's, it's work. Um, and I, one of the things I think we should state from the beginning is these are planned transitions life mostly brings you unplanned <laughs> transitions <Yeah. laughs> usually they sneak up on you yeah. um but this this is kind of um the idea behind it is trying to do an intentional transition to something um some of the some of my pitfalls i've had in the past um and then we also want to sort of talk about organizational or, or group transitions um something david morrison has a bunch of experience with. Um, and so I guess to lead us off, David, if you just sort of an overarching 
kind of kind of what are your perspective or thoughts about you know um just a planned life transition kind of some of the things that maybe you've stepped into in your life as an individual or organizationally either way but just some of the things you think about or look about uh contemplate about heading into something like that yeah i think there are maybe maybe there's two different kinds maybe there's artificial transitions and then there are just the constant change that life is mm. uh, and and that we usually resist right. <laughs> with artificial <laughs> with artificial changes uh, but yeah so i'm not sure exactly i, I you know there's a, there's a, most of us have a linear understanding of our lives right so you you graduate from kindergarten or you go to school for the first time and that's a transition mm-hmm. uh which I did not like that one very well when my mother explained to me I was going to be going away <laughs> school up the block. Uh, I was like, what? Explain that again. Say that one more uh, time. In the, in the words of the Virgin Mary, come again. And so, you know, so those, those linear kinds, uh, you know, and then uh, graduation from elementary school, mm-hmm. um, you know, those kinds of things. Get to go to middle school and have a locker. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, uh, the things that society and maybe your family pressures, puts uh, the pressure uh, mm. from the, you have to get married, you have to have 2.3 children. Uh, I was the point three in my family. <laughs> um, you have to uh, uh, get a mortgage. Mm. And then, uh, you know, uh, Get a uh, go through a midlife crisis, get a divorce, go back to school. You know, it's the American way. Get a convertible. (laughs) Yeah, the American way, or a Dodge truck with uh, swinging (laughs) testicles, rubber (laughs) testicles. Uh, Well, that's just that's just a requirement for El Paso, (laughs) (laughs) or maybe Texas at large. Yeah, I think it's the redneck code or something like that. Uh, Anyway, so I think those are more artificial changes in our lives, Mm. uh, that linear thinking. Uh, but then there's the constant change underneath it all, always flowing, the river, always flowing, Mm. moving, you know, and, uh, to use the, you know, images of, uh, Buddhist sages. And I think Heraclitus of the Greek philosopher, you know, you can't step in the same river Mm. twice. And then others would add to that. You can't even step in it the first time. Mm. So go th- wrap your head around that. Right. Uh, so so there's those kinds of changes. Or if you're more comfortable with Christian imagery, Jesus told Nicodemus, the, the wind blows where it wants to blow. Mm. You don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. And so it is with the way of the spirit or the people of the spirit. So there's this other kind of thing where life is ch- constant mm-hmm. change. And... And and we're not to really resist that or to flow into it, you know, kind of thing. So, well, I think the the beautiful thing about life too is sort of coupled with that constant change is the it's temporary, right? Yeah, like yeah, the impermanence of it. Yeah, we're it, you and I are going to come to an end. Society's yeah. going to come to you know societies we understand it right, and you you know you could take that that trail on you know and 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 you can pick anything and and it's. There's nothing that's lasted forever, right? Right. At least that our our, our minds can 
can wrap it, it itself around. Except for fruitcake, I guess. <laughs> Apparently that lasts forever. <laughs> Even Jesus had a fruitcake. They actually had one at the at the cross as they were mourning him. Oh, the really? ladies busted out a... It, it's they changed one it of the translation, turned it into vinegar and wine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No wonder he refused it. <laughs> get, get that away that from fruit me. Cake. Get that out of here. Um, so, so I guess one thing. So, so one thing that we've ta- we have talked about it before, but I don't know really how we've if we've highlighted it. But as you were thinking about individually thinking about starting a more con- uh contemplative church model maybe is a good way to put it yeah um and i don't remember if it was a year 18 months so you could kind of give the timeline but the transition from the the sort of church model you all were using and shifting to desert rain it wasn't you know it wasn't an overnight thing it wasn't like you just woke up one morning and was like Oh, I got an idea. Yeah, let's ruin our whole ministry. <laughs> um, so maybe maybe if you could talk about maybe as an individual what led up to that and but really highlight the as an organization kind of what that looked like at the time. Yeah, so that was my uh early 30s, early to mid 30s and so it was a time of intense change for me mm-hmm. on all, every level and uh, just a great time of, of learning mm-hmm. and being thirsty for that. And, and so, so yeah, so I guess the, there used to be a, an example and a sermon illustration we used to use in preaching. It's probably not true. Uh, but it, it works for the story, I guess, right. which was, uh, which is it, most stories. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you transition from the nest to the wing Mm. Uh, in other words, uh, a, a baby eagle, the mother will begin to remove the soft padding of the nest and the nest mm. becomes uncomfortable. This is probably not true, but it, it works. And, and which motivates the, the, the young eagle to, uh, jump out of the nest mm-hmm. and start flying. And so a lot of times you have to be dissatisfied mm. with your current, with your status quo, mm-hmm. um, which is an ego game because your ego is is at work. The ego's primary job is self-preservation. Mm-hmm. It's to keep you alive, uh, physically alive. Right. Uh, but when it overgrows its lane, when it gets out of its lane, what it tries to do is maintain any status quo mm. that you have. And so unless it's not serving, <laughs> unless the status quo is not serving that you know that need of self-preservation right so so an invitation to love for example is a great risk there's a great risk involved to Mm. love someone else uh because you may be rejected they will leave at some point or they'll die Mm -hmm. uh, and vice versa and so so the ego knows that and wants and is afraid of love Mm. in that sense so so the ego will try to to maintain a a status quo so you don't get transformed into love. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have that working. But then there are times where you're just so dissatisfied with your your life or your your situation. And so you begin to look for uh, other alternatives. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely what we did in church. We were just, we we're looking at the, I mean, these were discussions we actually had. 
we were looking up the road and we're like, this is going to be more of this, you know, mm. uh, building a bigger, better thing. Finding an a, a bigger meeting space. Yeah. A spiritual entertainment yeah. complex. Uh, and, and we just realized we, we don't want to do this. You can't raise kids in this. It's, it's, it's not sustainable. Mm-hmm. Spiritually, it's not sustainable. And relationally, it's not sustainable. Mm. And so, so yeah. So then you begin to look for other other models, which is what we did, which was smaller, uh, simpler, uh, countercultural, rather than trying to be with the culture. Right. Cause, cause you know, most worship sets in a church, uh, it's, it's just, it's Christian entertainment is mm-hmm. what it is, you know? And so I'm not saying that's evil or wrong. I'm just calling it what it is. Well, know? and if you're thinking about like the monetary side of things, it's successful. Yeah, exactly. There's huge churches all over the world. Yeah. Um, well, maybe not all over the world, but over the United States for sure. Right. Based on that model. So, yeah. um, so, so what was it like stepping into those conversations with the congregation, you know, having those, having those early meetings about like what, what is the next step? Yeah, so we started meeting and people, we, we were talking about how can we, we asked this question, this was the main question, how can we transition our church from a consumer-driven model? That's what we called it. Mm. How can we, uh, you know, consumer central, uh, a, a consumer-centric model mm. to a community model? And we've talked about it before, but maybe can you elaborate a little bit about what you mean when you say a consumer centric model? Uh, b- back in the late eighties, I was trained in what they call church of growth theory, mm-hmm. which is basically taking American marketing and applying it to a church right. is what it is. American uh, business model. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then you, t- you grab a couple scriptures and you justify it that way. Well, uh, you know, th- there's a book in the Bible called Numbers. Uh, so, <laughs> so we got to crunch know, the numbers against it. Uh, they didn't. They never pointed out that the the Book of Acts, for example, would talk about how the Jerusalem Church would grow daily, and then it gets scattered to the wind and becomes nothing. You know, oh, interesting. It's a persecution, and I think it implies that the Spirit allowed that. Right. Was, that was part of. Uh, part of the gig. Yeah, exactly. They don't, they don't mention that part, but, uh, well, and, and if you think about that idea of like legacy, it's all about legacy. It doesn't, yeah. it does, you know, the wind scattering your church yeah. doesn't feed that idea of legacy. Exactly. <laughs> so anyway, so, so yeah, uh, taking, taking the, the business growth model and, and laying it over the church. Yeah. Idea. So it was more, uh, so a consumer model would be more, how can we, Add more people, and there, and that's our culture. We mm. we we we're never satisfied with an economy that's enough, right? Mm-hmm. It always has to be growing and right. growing and growing and growing, bigger and better, bigger. I mean, you can just look at the the strategies around stock market stuff. Yeah, and you know, but apply that to say your body, you know, a tumor growing and growing mm. and growing and expanding. That's not a good thing, right? Uh, and so, the, but there's this idea that, you know, we always have to build it bigger. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, and, and so you start reading the gospels, particularly Jesus's teaching. It's the opposite, mm. you know, the mustard seed of the kingdom. Mm. Uh, the whole thing's a joke when he says it becomes the mustard tree. 
when you a tree what <laughs> what so apparently that's like four feet tall uh, <laughs> a it's tree. a bush yeah it's, it's a, a bush. mesquite it's, it's a mesquite a bush, bush. <laughs> yeah and apparently it was an, uh, considered an unclean one uh, in the jewish garden it wasn't supposed to be there i don't know if it's a weed a weed per that se. might be another one of those preachers urban legends that right. we used to <laughs> perpetually they're like in the trans translation i found yeah <laughs> like they found some special why would i ask a rabbi <laughs> uh so uh so shifting to that to a community-based type church was at the heart of these conversations that you started out with. right and you know and most people were we were probably all most of us in our 30s some were retired and so they were looking for new adventures mm. uh, but it was that was kind of the the demographic that we had. And so, yeah, they wanted <clears throat> in, in conversation and in theory, most people seem very enthusiastic mm. when we started actually moving towards it structurally, mm-hmm. it became very controversial and hurtful for people. And, and how did that, I guess this, uh, who knows the timeline, but the second half of that, those conversations, what, what were some of the practices or, or things that the, your community did, as the transition started to take place? Well, I think what caused the transition first was the, the commitment to prayer. It was an unusual okay. church in that sense. Okay. I don't, I don't think you see that too often. Prayer is not a, is not a consumer church kind of thing. You know, no one wants, yeah, let me go sit for an hour <laughs> and pray. Right. And, you know, uh, nobody does that really. Usually in, in these larger churches, it's a couple of old people uh, three or four might meet with the mm. prayer person or the sometimes the pastor, but it's not a. It doesn't fit. Right. You can't get immediate results in the marketing scam, you know, yeah. for with prayer. So we were already doing that, and that's what I think what caused us to. And that was kind of the, I mean, that was long term with the church. Yeah, because we were legitimately kind of seeking that. God. We yeah. really were. We were sincere and honest. I'm not saying we were right. Right. I'm not saying we were, you know, pure and holy and all of that. Course, I'm not course, interested in that. But we were definitely sincere. And you were seeking devoted. sincerely. Definitely. Yeah. And, and I was consciously wrestling with, I want to seek God's heart and not uh, success in ministry. Mm. And, that, and, I, and there was definitely a, a, a wall between those two for me in my mind. So. Because the, the common idea at the time and I don't even want to put it on the vineyard because I think it was it was bigger than that, but was that idea of church growth, right? Yeah. Like yeah. that wasn't, the the vineyard wasn't necessarily pushing the church growth on their own. No. It was vineyard, part of a bigger Christian model at the time. Absolutely, yeah. And the thing with the vineyard is they would, uh, well, the flagship was hugely successful, first of all, the mm. Anaheim Vineyard which recently went through some controversies. Do you, um, do you think a lot of that was based on Wimber though? And what a big yeah, time personality he was? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was the signs and wonders that were taking place and uh, the excitement of those meetings mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. And to top it off, Wimber himself was an early pioneer in an actual division at Fuller College called Church Growth. Oh, that's right. I forgot growth. about that. So he, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and he was a church growth consultant. 
So, but he didn't, yeah, but he was more focused on this teaching of the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. which we've talked about. Yeah, we've had a whole episode, which is episode, I don't know, yeah. <laughs> insert the number here. <laughs> but so yeah, we've he, done a whole, well, we've, we've done one on John Wimber specifically. Yeah. And then we did a second episode, maybe six months after that one, about so, the kingdom of yeah. God. Yeah. So in the vineyard culture, in my experience, uh, was uh, there's this ideal for your church to grow in those models but then there's the reality of mm. it and and so what they would do is they would say you know the, the leaderships if you will the conferences that kind of thing would would emphasize uh, healthy churches instead of big mm. successful churches but the speakers were always the mega church pastors right they were the ones who had the prominent roles and, and, and preaching and, gigs. So, the, so it was a double standard is what happened. Well, in their mind too, I'm sure the numbers were proof that it was a quote unquote yeah, healthy church. Exactly. Whether it was toxic or not. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And that's been proven. Just look at the other, the podcast, uh, the, the the one that's been out for a couple of years. Uh, the, was it the fall of Mars Hill? I think that's what it's called. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I would suggest that the fall of a or or, or a, a church becoming toxic is not an outlier. <laughs> well, I would it's say that's very common. I would say that's true about organization. Exactly, the it's larger very, an organization, yeah, it's easy for it to go that way. Exactly, the larger it is, the more organized it becomes, the more potential for evil it has. Uh, which I think it, the facts bear me out on that. Well, I don't think it's it just, just a concept, and I think too, it's it's not. There's maybe in some instances, but in most instances, it seems like it's a, it turns evil because it's trying to maintain whatever power success it has. Right. You know what I mean? And it just, it kind of implodes. Exactly. From the inside. It's not, we're not saying that these organizations wake up one morning like, oh, let's be evil. Let's, yeah. Let's grow a, <clears throat> let's grow a handlebar mustache and wear a black hat and but it's, put people on railroad tracks. <laughs> right. But it's. It's this uh, needing to continue to grow, like we talked about earlier, yeah. or even just maintain whatever success you've yeah. experienced in the past. So then they cover up child rape mm. and evil things like that. Yeah. So I, I guess getting back to the original question, so the your church, big emphasis on prayer led you to sort of getting this place of like, we don't want to do the consumer based. Yeah. There's something else. And so once you're in the the process of these conversations, I guess, and what, what did that look like? Were you having a monthly every other week? Like what, how'd that conversation uh, kind of look? If I remember right, I think it was a, I think it was a Friday night meeting kind of thing at a, at a house. Every, every week. Yeah. Open yeah. meeting for people to come and yeah. And we just talk about it. And so when you said it, it there, you know, <laughs> once it actually started becoming something instead of just talk, what, what were some of the, the pitfalls as far as people being like, wait, <laughs> wait, we're actually doing this? Like, yeah. how did that manifest? Oh, it was just <laughs> chaos. <laughs> it was, people were hurt and upset. And mm. uh, when I announced this was our last Sunday at the school, Mm. Uh, someone told Marsha, uh, you know, and our plan was to transition into homes until we could find oh, a community. Yeah. So, so we we're going to do a couple of home churches and 
and someone was really upset and told Marshall, I didn't think we were going to actually do it. They actually said that. <laughs> and, and then, yeah, it became a series of meeting with people to mm. tell me they were jumping off at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, was, most were sincere. Others were just hurt mm-hmm. uh, because people don't like changes like that. Right. And, you know, uh, you know. And so, yeah, and some of them got nasty uh, accusations. Accusations were flung. <laughs> wait, uh, so how wait? How long were you having these Friday night meetings prior to the, the point where you making, were like, "This is the last Sunday"? Uh, it was probably a year. So, would it be safe to say that a lot of people, or maybe not a lot, but the people that were most hurt, were not participating in those conversations? No, no, they were, they were committed people. Yeah, they were. So they were showing up to those conversations. Yeah, yeah. So. Like I said, they would cheerlead it. Interesting. And then when the actual changes started, then. It Interesting. Became, which, you know, it's possible also because a church has a level of toxicity in it. Any organization, mm. like you just said, it might've just revealed some resentments that were already there. Oh, and, I and see. tensions in the relationships that were there already, that kind of thing. So they just got exposed you know and you know and and i got defensive obviously of course yeah chip on my shoulder about uh uh the well because i because it became a dichotomy right Mm -hmm. us against them right community people versus the consumer people and and it also became generational for me too Mm. so i saw baby boomers as their values of being presented as having a, a high quality image of their life Mm. Whereas I saw my generation, the Xers is authenticity being more important. I see. And so, so yeah. And then, so I definitely had a chip on my shoulder and, and defense and was defensive Mm -hmm. and, and the more attacked I felt, uh, you know, the more I doubled down. Of course. So, yeah. So there was a lot of that. So I guess it was my own work I had to do. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, that's, that's every, I mean, maybe not everyone's aware of it, but that I think I feel like any, I mean, this whole thing of transition is that's what it does for individuals if they're right. willing to step into that. And um, so, so I guess one thing, I, I guess one thing I didn't realize, and it's not that important, but I would like to touch on it. What was the time frame from your last Sunday at the school until you had your first... I guess prayer meeting here at Desert Rain. I I, I thought it was very close oh, together. No, it was probably a year. Interesting. I didn't, Actually, I maybe didn't. even two years. Okay, I, I didn't know that because I think we. Yeah, I think I could be wrong, but uh, I know we met at a home or two uh, mm-hmm. on the east side still, and that must have been maybe six months to a year. Interesting. And then we transitioned to to uh, the Chaparral Vineyard. Which is where you you would meet at Ernie's church, right? So okay. we met there on Saturday nights. Okay, I think for a year, maybe. Okay, maybe le- you know six months to a year. Yeah, kind of thing until we landed at this property, uh, and so that and that would have been so. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think it was a, almost a two year period. That's amazing because in my mind, I mean, I obviously wasn't around then. I mean, I was around in the world, but I didn't know you guys. I always thought it was just a few months. No. But that's that's interesting. Yeah, and then there was the process of building. Well, finding the property, right? Like Yeah, and selling our homes. Yeah, we've covered Uh, that part of it. It took a year to sell our our house. Interesting. Um, 
Yeah, so we were pretty ragged by that time. And then, you know, we're raising <laughs> right. our kids. Uh, I was working full-time yeah. uh, and teaching, and we're building a house ourselves. Well, and you were also working full-time while you had the church, too. Right, exactly. Yeah. But building you, a home was... Yeah. And I, we had a two-year-old. And so... Well, I think everyone... The, and the Steels had four kids, yeah. And even the Helms, because they helped build it, right? Yeah, the girls were this about, I think, uh, yeah. They were Addie right. Anna's age. And yeah. So, yeah, we all had our little kids. We're trying to to uh, parent them and build a chapel. Build a chapel and a home <laughs> and and then working a teaching yeah. job. Greg had, was starting his okay. computer business. Uh, and so there was all that going on. Um. It was the work for young people. Right. <laughs> young, young, committed families. Um, well, and so I guess that makes a, a good transition to this, this idea. So kind of how we got to this topic is, I don't know, six, eight weeks ago, I kind of had that moment you were talking about of just kind of being dissatisfied with life just felt stagnant mm-hmm. in some way, shape or form, you know, and, and, um, and it was a multitude of things over the, over this year, really, you know, I, I think we've touched on it. Some of my health struggles, right. um, some changes at work, um, some, you know, really, really, you know, this sounds cliche, but following, falling in love with this process of doing the podcast stuff, um, even the, even the stuff we've done with the book, you know, and, 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 the I don't know if I would describe it as fun, but the, just that process, you know what I mean? That process right. of you and me trying to <laughs> bang our heads against the wall and, yeah, and yeah. try to get it into the world. Right. And, and, um, and enjoying that process on yeah. what, you know, on whatever level at the, you know, some of it's been super stressful, but some of it's been super rewarding at the same time. And, um, yeah, just kind of got to a point of like, what's, what's mine to do? That's kind yeah. of the question that bubbled up and, and, um, you know, what's mine to do is not be a project manager, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And, and I have made peace over the years cause I, I've wrestled a lot with this idea of, my profession needs to be fulfilling. Mm. And I don't know if that's true anymore. You know, as I get older, it's like, uh, you know, maybe your profession is just <laughs> to pay the bills. You know what I mean? And you right. find you find things out, which I have found things away from a profession that have been super fulfilling, you know, and... And, um, and that does seem generational. If It seems to me, and I could be just talking out of my lower uh, orifice, but um, it seems like millennials like yourself were raised on that by your boomer parents saying, mm. do what you love and the money will follow. Right. You know, they, every boomer I've ever met has that as their tagline <laughs> on their email uh, since their, uh, their Netscape email, right. their, their AOL. Uh, AOL email. <laughs> and yeah, do what you love and the money will follow. And well, that's just, that's, that's just not true. Yeah. Uh, well, and I think about my grandparents' generation, so they're not, you know, they're the generation, what is that? I think the greatest generation or something. Yeah, or the silent <laughs> generation, maybe. The great, you know. Actually, Anyways. I think your grandparents were, yeah, the greatest generation. Yeah. 
you know, that, so with all the segregation and all, yeah, <laughs> really great. Well, my my grandparents were part of the segregation because they were Hispanic, so uh, right. they didn't get the same <laughs> same uh, what's it called uh, benefits. But the they just worked like that generation. Yeah. You just did work. You yeah, know you what just I mean? do your job and put it your was head down. And it's like because their parents were. I guess I can't say that for sure for all my grandparents, but my grandparents grew up on farms a lot of yeah. them. You know what I mean? And so there wasn't time to like, oh, what do I enjoy doing? It's like no, you no get up and fucking farm. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? You got to feed – the farm's going to feed your family and then you sell whatever's left to try exactly. to make a little bit of a change to, you know, pay the, the you know, property tax or whatever else. Um, you know, and so we – you know, my generation's gotten to a place that it's, it's so comfortable. Like it's easy to get food, right? It's easy to, yeah. to get a, you know, whatever, a minimum wage that it's like, Oh, what do I want to do? You know what I mean? And those kind of ideas have, have, um, presented themselves in a way. And I'm not saying for everybody, right. There's still poor people. There's still, still people, um, having, uh, food insecurity, housing insecurity. Yeah, like sure. I'm not saying that doesn't exist, but lower middle class and up, you kind of have this extra time, so to speak, of like, what's you know, what's my dream, and the yeah. money will follow. Type yeah. you know, type shenanigans, and so. Um, Let me get my side hustle going. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I, I guess, you know, and, and shout out to. Marsha for kind of putting this topic in our, in our mind, but, um, just going through that, like, you know, for me, it's been a lot of prayer, a lot of conversations, you know, you and I have had, had them, um, you know, calling people in my life, you know, I, a few weeks ago, I got to help my buddy Tucker move, you know, and we were on, on the road for three days. And a lot of that time was kind of hashing some of this stuff out and, um, just what is what is the thing on the horizon you know yeah. and and for me it's it feels terrifying on a certain level but i'm also not worried you know and and um i saw something very interesting today and it it's a paraphrase and of course it's a meme from instagram but this idea of our life we're not machines right our life is not a machine right. you know and it it basically put out this this idea of like uh, our life being a garden, mm-hmm. right? And so there's a time where you, and I'm expanding on it, but there's a time to where you plant, right? There's a time where you're harvesting. Uh, there's a time where you're pulling weeds and just um, the way you nurture. If you think about the way you nurture a garden is almost, uh, and who, you know, I haven't spent a bunch of time thinking about this, but almost that's how you would, nurture your life yeah. right and and these different seasons right, right like we've talked about on on several podcasts um so i i guess i would sort of volley it over to you and and what are some of the things as you step into a transition individually um what are some of the things some of the practices you have embraced in the past or or would embrace in the future to you know and maybe even you know this transition of becoming a writer yeah. Right. Like what are some of the things you've, you've embraced to, 
sort of walk through that? Yeah, I, I, I think uh, there's been a grace on my life in these transitions because I think, uh, because I've been through so many now because I'm mm-hmm. old. Uh, but I, I think what happens is when we experience a, a massive change in our lives, usually it's a tragedy right. of some sort, a, a loss, a divorce, uh, which sometimes isn't a tragedy, uh, you know. <laughs> right. Some, yeah, long, some people, long they, term it ends up being yeah, much better. Yeah, your marriage was the real tragedy. <laughs> and, and that's true. Uh, and so... Uh, but you didn't plan that, you know. Of course, of course, you know, of course. No one gets married and says, "I hope to have a toxic relationship <laughs> and get abused and to be made feel, made to feel like I'm yeah. not worth nothing." Can't wait till this goes and south. Then end and and if, so yeah, so a divorce like that or the end of a career, uh, health a issues. What's that? Health issues. Yeah, uh, those kinds of things. Um, and so uh, I lost. Oh, yeah. So our tendency is to, uh, I, I'm guessing, um, going off of my own self. Yeah. Well, I think most of us, our response, our knee-jerk response to it is to isolate ourselves. Mm. And to, uh, and then once you've isolated yourself from uh, people around you that can sit with you, as James Finley says, in a non-judgmental presence mm-hmm. where they don't invade you or uh, uh, reject you, uh, abandon you. They don't abandon you or invade you. Uh, there's a real healing that, where that takes place. Mm-hmm. That can happen professionally with a therapist, if, it's, if they're a good therapist. Uh, it could happen with just your friends or your family, uh, or sometimes even a dog or cat. Right, yeah. uh, <laughs> but somebody that can, yeah, but we're terrified of doing that. And so, mm-hmm. so we'll go into isolation and once you go into isolation, your perception of reality becomes warped, mm. um, and, uh, in too inward and you can end up living in your head to the point where you begin to spiral into all kinds of addictions. Uh, and we're already in an addictive process. Our, our minds We're already in some sort of, so you can end up medicating with, so what I'm saying is there's always been a grace on me where I medicated with uh, things that weren't going to kill me as quickly. Mm. Uh, and so, and I've had people like that around me who, you know, eventually, you know, who don't invade me or mm-hmm. abandon me. And so, so that's gotten me through. Uh, ironically, I think routine, even though you're in a change, mm-hmm. It's kind of like the word revolution or revolve a revolution. You tend to think of it's a change, a massive mm-hmm. change, but a revolution around the sun is just another, just a it's day in that routine. And so there, it means the, you know, uh, they have opposite meanings of the same word. And so, so I think if you could find a routine, a very simple routine, uh, I think that's very helpful. I think for me in, in times of, tragedy and massive change to, you know, good change. Uh, um, finding a, a, a signal in the noise, uh, something mm-hmm. very simple that brings life to you, mm-hmm. like gardening, uh, you know, instead of say heroin, uh, <laughs> you know, you, you <laughs> right, see what right. I'm saying? Uh, I know I revert back to music from my childhood during those times mm-hmm. when I'm very stressed and very right. insecure and feeling, uh, 
uh, I'm on that that ledge of falling either into community or self isolation and a spiraling downward. Uh, yeah, music from my from my a simpler time in my life. Mm-hmm. So usually it's the Beatles, uh, that kind of thing, and it just seems to bring a comfort. Interesting. Uh, when when the church transition, I hadn't listened to the Beatles in years and years and years, mm-hmm. and and all of a sudden I found myself listening to them every day, and you know, in the car, you know, everywhere. Uh, and I and I had to ask, why am I doing that? Why all of a sudden am I listening to this? And I realized it's because mm-hmm. it was there was a simpler time. When I was 13, 14 years old. There was a connection and to so that. So there was time. a healing there. Yeah, yeah. The, particularly the song "Let It Be." Uh, and so, yeah, and so like right now, uh, we're in a, a semi-stressful time. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I'm listening to uh, Bob Dylan's music a lot more than usual. Mm-hmm. So, and particularly the, the first stuff I heard, his 80s mm-hmm. stuff when I was 13, 14, right. you know. So, so I think, yeah, finding a very simple thing to ground you. Mm-hmm. Uh and it'll be different for everybody. Yeah, exactly. Could be art, could be music. Yeah, could, and doing know. a routine. I scrape weeds out mm-hmm. here this time of year. Uh, I, I think going outside is one of the best things you can do. It gets you out of your head, mm-hmm. and it gets your senses going. Your your five senses to you know to look at the sky, notice some birds. Uh, gets you kind of out of that spiraling in your head kind of thing. So. Well, I was going to say that that's one of the things because I I've noticed that the, the lack of routine, because this is my first week, you know, this is, this past week was the first week of not having the nine to five, so to speak structure. Yeah. But for out of the last six days, I've gone outside in some way, shape or form, you know, some of it was just walking around here, yeah. you know, going to the water tanks, um, and then a couple of the days were actually going on hikes right into mm-hmm. the into the mountains and just what a how different how differently it sets up the rest of your day yeah and you kind of got you know you have that sort of anchor of just going outside you know what i mean and just going yeah. for me it's not it is exercise because you're moving your body but it's not even exercise right it's just walking yeah you know and and um, it's getting you out of your head and into yeah. your body and let your body process the stress. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's almost like poison being pulled mm-hmm. when you're living in your head. That poison's being pulled in your body, pulled as in P O O L. Right. And so when you begin to move, it begins to to flow and and kind of goes out, sweats out of you, if you will. Well, for sure. And I think I mean, bec- I mean, it's you know, it's pretty common knowledge that our thinking takes energy, right? Like there was some study yeah. done about like. Um, chess masters, you know, and how many calories they burn during just a oh, match, really? just wow. sitting there yeah. thinking. And it's crazy. Um, so when you're out there moving your body and, and using energy in that way, it almost um, takes away from the energy that your your mind can use yeah. in, in a way to, for me at least, for that uh, sort of loop thinking, right, you know right. what I mean? And just either going over something over and over again or make, you know, Looping to like, okay, if this happens and this happens and this happens, you know, yeah. and kind of that spiral idea that you're, you're talking about. Cause it can go the other way too. It can spiral up for me. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? I can, most of the time when I'm in a bad place, it spirals down, 
but when I'm in a good place, it can also go yeah, the opposite way. You have to be aware way. of that too. Yeah. yeah. That grandiose. I know, I know people, and I'm sure you do, you know even more people who they, they, they have been around enough. They know themselves enough to, to sense their triggerings. Mm, right. And so they begin, so they'll, their discipline of support groups, for example, mm. they'll double down on those. They'll be more intentional during, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I know a lot of 12 step people or around the holidays will mm-hmm. go to an extra meeting kind of thing. Or, uh, um, anniversary, like death anniversaries yeah, and stuff exactly. like that. People you, will, will step into that. Yeah. And it's kind of a preparation thing for a transition or to at least recognize a transition that happened in the past. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's important. So it's almost like, you know, the flood is coming. So you go get some sandbags, you know, and yeah. shore up some things. So, so there are people that do that, that kind of thing Add an extra 12 step meeting, uh, make an effort to be more extroverted during this certain time instead of falling into this self-isolation kind of thing. Or if you're spiraling upward, yeah, go do something meaningless. Uh, not, you know, go scrape some weeds or, you know. Well, one of the things... I don't, I don't mean that as a euphemism, by the way. I mean that literally. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Physically going outside with the with The, the New weed Mexico scraper. goat's head. <laughs> the killer goat heads for sure. Yeah. Um, well, one of the things that came to mind the first time you started, you were talking about the, the isolation is how, because of everything with COVID and, um, and the prevalence of either social media or even just how easy it is to access entertainment now, whether it's, uh, Netflix or pod, you know, I'm, my guilty pleasure as everyone knows is listening to podcasts, um, whatever, downloading video games. It's so much easier to, to download, you know, video games now. And so sort of this idea of, I don't want to call it commonplace because it, it isn't, but there was almost this sense of there was for a short time, there was a sense of duty to isolate, right. To because of the COVID stuff going on. Right. Um, and not, you know, flattening the curve and all that stuff. And so, I think as we've gotten, as time has gotten farther away from that, the people that want to isolate or um, use it as an unhealthy coping mechanism can right. can still kind of hold on to that. And yeah. I think I think uh, being mindful of this idea around isolation, like. Is it because sometimes we need time away from people, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Especially if you're an introverted person, right? But being able to walk that line of like having that community and engaging with that community around you, whatever that might look yeah, like yeah. for each individual, it's different. Um, and being wary of how easy, because you can even be, you know, you can just go out in public and sit in a public area. And see how many people are in their own world on their phones, yeah. right? Not paying attention to anything going on around yeah. them, you know? And so how do you, how do you, or it's not, I don't even think it's a question. It's just being mindful right, of that, uh, how easy it is to isolate in 2022. Yeah, for sure. Um, even if you're amongst people physically. 
Yeah, exactly. So it's, yeah, your relationship with solitude is inversely related to your relationship with community and mm. that kind of thing. And so, yeah. So um, we still have a little bit of time, but I guess one of the things, and maybe this, because we've kind of touched on it with the individual side of stuff, but to anyone listening that might be whether they're leading an organization or a part of an organization that is like moving towards a possible transition, um, what specifically would you uh, recommend or suggest to people in that in that scenario where a group of people might be transitioning to something something new and different, right? Yeah, uh, you should definitely be in therapy and checking in. Uh, I did that during that time as well. Mm-hmm. And for that exact reason, just, you know, and make sure you find a therapist that's not connected at all. Mm-hmm. Doesn't care, doesn't, isn't invested in any way mm-hmm. in that organization. And, you know, the problem is when, when we found good therapists, you know, I don't, I want to recommend them to other people because <laughs> they're going to do good for them, you know, and, but then they're going to talk about me. <laughs> uh, but, you know, but they're usually a good enough therapist where they're going to be yeah, objective enough. Of course. But yeah, you should be, uh, particularly in Christian ministry, there's this idea that the pastor is this spiritual guru mm. kind of thing. And that's just false. Or as Dwight Schrute would say, false. <laughs> and uh, and you need to be in regular therapy the way that you would be, the way that you go into uh, uh, medical checkups, mm-hmm. you should treat your mind exactly the same way. And go in and just check in uh, with people. Um, so, yeah, you should do that. And you need to step away from it as much as possible. You can be so invested in your organization that it's going to consume you and mm. and uh, suck you in like a black hole. And mm-hmm. So step away so that you realize your identity is not in that. Or see yourself see how much of your identity is invested in that yeah. and at least become aware of it. Start there. Yeah. Having that awareness definitely is, is key in the sense of, um, oh, what would be the right word? If there is something that needs to be altered in your own life, yeah, you know, yeah. then being aware of it, you can at least, that's the point where you start, right? If you're yeah. not even aware of it. Um, and even with the therapy thing, it's, that's one thing I didn't mention, but, I I have uh, upped my appointments with my therapist during yeah. this time. You know what I mean? And it wasn't it wasn't intentional in the sense of like, oh, you know, because I I see a therapist regularly. Right. But the first conversation I had before or in the midst of this transition, a lot of things that I was dwelling on mentally were, were said out loud, right? And then I was like, oh, I, I should probably do this a little bit more often as I go through, as I walk through this, yeah. you know. And so even even in an individual transition, if it's something you're planning, um, keep that in mind. Yeah. You know, having that outlet because the person I'm telling it to, they're not invested in any way, shape or form. Right. Yeah. They're they're helpful, you know, and they, they can point me in the right direction. But the outcome to them is is. Not indifferent, but you know, somewhat indifferent. Yeah. So that that's a a great um, suggestion. Yeah, and some some people might 
I've had people kick back on that and say, well, it must be nice for you to be able to afford a therapist. Like it's a luxury. Mm -hmm. And that's not true. Uh, you, you can be, uh, at a very, you can be impoverished and you can actually be homeless and still qualify and find someone. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's, um, I mean, I, I'll be, that's too personal to say it, you know, I don't want to expose no, I think anybody, but no, I, no, yeah, I know yeah, people who've been homeless. Well, and I know, I know people on both sides of the scales, right? Like I know therapists that have used a sliding scale yeah, exactly. for that very reason. Exactly. You know, and, and, um, I mean, I, I can only speak, but I, I'm pretty sure Doniana County, I've read places where they, they offer, um, Yes. Uh, re what would I'm speaking it be? specifically of Donnie. Yeah. Kelly. Yeah. I, I can't remember the word. It's not recommendations, but they have resources that yeah. people can tap into for this kind of stuff. Um, the VA, if you yeah. you know, if you're a veteran, you know, touch base with them. There's there's things available for that. Um, and I'm very much for in person therapy, but with the advent of um, the stuff that's kind of come from the pandemic, but, uh, virtual, you know what I mean? Right. Whether right. it's over zoom or FaceTime or something like that. Yeah. No, it was uh, astounding. When therapy you sessions, that. uh, in 2020, everyone's the amount of people that you personally know or have met, uh, that got sober oh, in an right. isolated yeah. situation. Yeah. They never, they never attended an in-person 12 step meeting, mm -hmm. In a year or nine months, maybe six months. What one? I can think of one person into specifically who their first in-person meeting was two or three days before they celebrated a year of sobriety. So that's amazing how yeah. the spirit is working even in those in kinds of situations. Yeah. yeah. So your ego is the one that will put up the the arguments. Well, I can't afford it. I don't have the time. I'm too important. Because the ego, again, is trying everything it can do to keep the status quo. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that status quo is... Uh, Even if it's an unhealthy status quo. Well, it usually is. Yeah. yeah the stat, what I uh, I've mentioned this before, but it's the three illusions that David White spoke about on his TED Talk, uh, which was profound. If, if, you know, and I know I've mentioned it here before, but it's the first illusion that the ego and that your life is built around is that... Uh, uh, that I I can live my life in such a way that I'm never vulnerable, mm. health wise, financially, relationally. I I won't need other people. I'm self reliant. Mm -hmm. The second one uh, illusion that your ego is building up is that I will never uh, be heartbroken. Mm. My heart will. I can live my life in a way where my heart will never get broken. And then the third, which is what we're talking about is I can live my life in a way where I can see the future right. and prepare and plan for it uh, and, and set up edifices that way. Uh, and it's just not, yeah. It's not true. It's, it's, it's unreality mm -hmm. and uh, it's an illusion. And so, yeah, that resistance that you have towards therapy and that kind of thing is usually because I might, the ego will get exposed for its, <laughs> for its machinations and, and real possible change yeah. is on the, on the way. So, uh, that's beautiful, man. I think that's it. Yes, sir. You feel good. Yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to add? No, I feel good. Cool. Yeah.
Cool. Well, thanks everyone for uh, for tuning in to another another episode of Desert Rain Community Radio um, and Dispatches from the Verge. Uh, we're um, looking like we're going to get back on on track for posting weekly. That's our our plan at least. Um, transitioning into September. Um, so thank you to Jacob. That's what you hear in the background. Monk Drums. Uh, you can check out monkdrums.com for those uh thank you to danny west he's been doing all the editing uh and thank you one senior thank you mr mason one senior <laughs> <laughs> i jokingly call mr morrison monsignor from time to time uh he's not just in case anyone's wondering he's not officially a monsignor yeah. so don't get don't get uh your feathers ruffled and uh we have a book on on the horizon so Correct. Yeah. we will be as we uh, get closer to printing those and having having physical copies for for those all that are interested or have already um, posted them. You can uh, if you are interested in staying in the loop, uh, Desert Rain Poem at gmail.com. You can email us and we'll we're keeping a list of people that are that would like to purchase those once they come come out. So uh, anything else? No. Beautiful. Sounds good. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you all. More call today. You.